Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Today, we actually have some people who many of the listeners have been asking to hear more about, and that is Joyce Malecki's family, Daryl, Pat, and Diane. Diane, you're actually married to Daryl? Yes, that's correct. So welcome, guys. And of course, Gemma is also on the line. Hello. Daryl, Pat, it was awesome meeting you guys while we were in Baltimore. I'd like for one of you guys to summarize for me Joyce's story. I know that you guys are one of four, right? There's four of you? There are four brothers and one, well, two sisters. And, right. This is Daryl. I can start off with one of the questions because it is here as far as car switching. Again, I was working at Gino's on Patapsico Avenue in Baltimore, Maryland, and she had came up to the store and wanted to switch cars. I had my parents' car. And her car, which is much older, and I guess we felt less reliable, that she wanted to use their car to go shopping. And, of course, there was no problem with me. I just had to go home. And I was you know, the last one in the family to see her alive. Everything that happened, of course, it was a, a shock. And it's still a shock what happened to our sister. And, again, we would still all love to know what happened to our sister. We know as far as the person, the, the culprit who took her life, she just disappeared. Again, it's just a shock. And even sitting here talking now, almost 50 years later, it's hard to talk about. We would love to have some closure. It was a good sister. As far as the family goes, I was the youngest. Pat sitting next to me is the oldest. As far as the family, we had a good relationship. There was no fighting amongst the siblings or anything like that. But I was, to myself, I being the youngest, I was kind of like left out of a lot of things mm-hmm. as far as being involved with Joyce. Because she told her she was dating and she wouldn't have her little brother with her. Yeah, like I say, we got along extremely well. And with that, Pat, he can tell us about, he used to, Joyce used to wrestle around with her and all this kind of stuff. And they say we, we were happy. But again, days in the 60s, everybody had their own life. Everybody went in their own direction. And we, it was just, again, I keep saying it was just a shock to us as to what happened and then who would do that. Can you give us an idea what her plans were for that night? To your knowledge? To my knowledge, all she wanted to do was switch the cars, Gemma, which I had no problem with at all. We, we didn't live that far from where Gino's is located. But I was just wanting to get home. But he was doing a lot more riding around. Do you know if she had, there's 
story that she was at a shopping mall and that she was going to see her boyfriend. And do you know if she had those plans? At the time, no, I did not. But she did tell her mother where she was going. And that's how the one was started. I'm not, I wasn't involved. But when they started, my brother started looking for the car. One brother, Jerry, who lives up in Pennsylvania, he was the one that actually found the car going by what my mother said, the locations that she was going to go at. And one of them was Fort Meade, and that's where the Boontown, that's when, you know, the, the main road that was going through there, and that's where Jerry found the car and notified the authorities. So your mother knew where she was yes, going. Yes, but no, I was completely out of the loop. Okay. And what's Boom? Is it Boontown? Is that what it was called? Yes, back in the day, Boon, B-O-O-N, town. It was just a little strip of shops along the main road. And there's liquor store. There was, I think it was gas station and you know, stuff like that. Again, I was not familiar with the area until later going down to see where the car was found. And of course, now it all has changed. It's still in the process of change. At the time when Joyce disappeared, I believe she was 20. Was she working exactly. that day? Yeah. Or where did she work at? This was in the evening because, again, I, that's all I work was the evening you know, after school. And she was working for liquor franchise or something on Washington Boulevard. It wasn't a liquor store, to my knowledge. It was a distributor, you, yes. Do you remember where on Washington Boulevard? The best of my recollection, Washington Boulevard, where we lived in Lansdowne. You go down Hammonds Ferry Road. And I'm trying to think northeast, south, west. But anyhow, you go towards the city, and it would go to Washington Boulevard. Now, they built a new road, uh, Lansdowne Boulevard, that, that actually ended on another section of Washington Boulevard. And it was located between those two areas, which is probably a couple miles. So it was more right in Lansdowne than in Hailthorpe? Actually, more, I think, in in, in out the outskirts, I think it was probably Baltimore City. It was Baltimore City. Yeah, it was still, but it was right on the city-county line, but it was in Baltimore City, not far from Kiel. And do you know what her job was there? I think it was a secretary. I know that on November 11th is when this all happened, and it's when you guys treated vehicles. Were you the last one to see Joyce? Yes, just momentary, just enough to switch keys. That, that was it. At what point in the day did you guys start realizing that something didn't seem right? The next day, because Jewish wasn't, none of us was really the type of people that you would go someplace and not come home. You always went back home. And that was a flag that went up where it was Joyce. And that's never happened. Were you all living at home at that time? Yeah, we were all at home. Trying to think what day of the week that was, because if it was a school day, I, I would have went to school. The kids were still all living oh, home. Yeah. Nobody had moved out. Yet, nobody, moved out yeah, nobody moved out. Question. So when she didn't come home during the night and everybody else was home, do you guys remember like thinking, okay, it's after midnight, where's Joyce? The next morning, my mother got up. Joyce wasn't home. She immediately came over to me and said she wasn't home. And I said, she had a girlfriend named, we called her Bimmy. I said, she probably at Bimmy's house about tonight. So she called Bimmy, and she hadn't seen Joyce. We all got in her car, and we went out and started looking for her. And that's when Jerry found her car over in Boomtown. 
also, but we were keeping in touch with my mother because we didn't have cell phones back then. When Jerry found, he called my mother. And the rest of us, when we checked in, that's when she told us where it was. But we immediately all went over to where the car was and met there and met with the police. That was pretty much about it because right away the, the police grabbed it the vehicle and took it away and we went back home. There wasn't anything more we could do. But what Pat's talking to this is there what Pat was talking about there. I was not involved because I didn't have a car. Yeah. And I probably went to school. I'm sure I did. Yeah, that day was a Tuesday. So you probably did. Yeah. I have a question. I have spoken to a relative of Demi and the relative told me that she was younger. She used to watch Joyce and Demi getting ready to go out. I think she lived next door. She said they would always make fun of Maskell, like talk about what a creep he was and like making fun of him. Where did you get this information? It's a young woman who she's younger than I am. She was either Bimmy's cousin or I think it was her cousin. And she spoke to me and said that as a rule, they would make fun of him. And she also told me that Bimmy is the one that said Joyce had a routine when she was going to see her boyfriend, that she would call him from the convenience store, tell him she was on her way, and then she hit the horn two times outside his barracks. And then he would come out. Does any of that sound familiar to you? No, that does not sound familiar at all because for one thing, why in God's name would she pull over when she was right in front of Fort Meade to call him and tell him he was on his way? I don't know if anybody was in the military, but I was. And if we had any visitors come, we went to the day room, not the barracks. Would it have been possible for her to pull up outside the barracks? Because what Bimmy's told me was that he would, when Joyce would call him, he would get his things together and be waiting. And then Actually, that night, the horn beat two times, and he went out, and nobody was there. Okay. To start with, as I understood it, he and her boyfriend was in the day room, not the barracks. Okay? Whenever you had a visitor, you went to the day room. The day room is a building where relatives can come, or family members or whatever can come over and visit with whoever was in the military. Now, the other thing is, Calling him, I don't know about for me, but the day room, when I was in the Air Force, our day room had six telephones in it, and they were all pay phones. So she would have to know the number of whatever it was. And I also understand from talking with the FBI that they interviewed everyone that was in the day room, and he had never left, and there, there was never a phone call. So I don't know where that came from. What I'll do for all of you is I will go back and check with her. I have her name and her contact information, and maybe I can get her to write everything down and then share it with you. But that would be great. Okay. And yeah. the other thing that, that was just brought up was if Bimmy and Joyce talked about Maskell, then I never knew that Joyce actually knew Maskell. That's, this is news to me. Now, at the time, I wasn't living at home, 
Uh, no, I was there when she left, only because my first wife and I was with us. And I was staying with my mother. But prior to that, I had no idea that she knew Bassel. Although Bassel was taken over St. Clement's Church for a while. That takes us to our second question. What was your family's connection with the St. Clement's Parish, where Michael was the pastor? That's where we went to church every Sunday, and that's where we went to Sunday school. We were brought up Catholic, and we went to Catholic school at St. Clement's, and we went to church every Sunday at St. Clement's. But again, this is Daryl. I was the exception to the rule. I only went there in first grade, and then I was removed. Well, actually, I failed, but anyhow, and I went to public school. But I still went to mass and Sunday school at St. Clement's. From what I understand from my mother is there was a little confrontation with Joyce and somebody, and I thought it was a nun, but again, I was... Very, very young. That smacked her with a roar or something like that, and they decided to take us mm. and we went to public school. And at the public school was, that we went to was right two blocks from St. Clement's. It's been torn down now, and it's actually the rectory on First Avenue, when you walked out the front door and you looked directly across the road, that's where the school was. The public school? Yes. So if you all were part of St. Clement's Parish, and he was one of the priests there. You said that you didn't even know Joyce knew him. Did you all not know Maskell, or did your family interact with him in any way? I had not. I wasn't aware of Maskell because the whole time I was in public and in Catholic school, Father Byrne was the one of pastor of the school then. In our ongoing journey, dissecting real-life mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape, offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android, and join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries. And then I guess she retired or whatever, and that's when Maskell took over. And so were you all not still in the school when Maskell took over? No, we were, I was out. You said your family went to Mass. She may have known him just as the priest who was saying Mass or confessions or... It's possible. Yes, and we did go to confession, and I was so good I had to make up things. Tell the priest. <laughs> if you said you lied two times and it was really three, you went back in again and said one more... Th- no, I just went out and said my Hail Marys and our fathers. Okay. 
So I'm serious. I think that's typical of a lot of us, right? I think I did the same exactly. thing. Did your family have any connection with Keogh, Archbishop Keogh High School? No. Now, again, we're sitting here, but this is just all the side. My wife went to Keogh. Right. Yes, I did. Yeah. Diane, do you remember what year you graduated? Of course you remember. When did you graduate? I only went there for ninth and 10th grade, so I did not graduate from there. After the 10th grade, I transferred to Lansdowne Senior High. When did you graduate from Lansdowne High? I graduated 71. You would have been at Keogh when Sister Kathy was teaching there. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I remember her. If I recall, I'm hoping this is right. I was part of the stage crew one year. And didn't she run the drama stuff there? Yeah, she did. Seems to me I remember her from that. Did you know Father Maskell? Or do you remember him at all? I remember Father Maskell because I went to Our Lady of Victory. Oh, so you knew him back then? I know him from then, yes. That's where I went to elementary school. That's where my husband and I were married. Not by Maskell, though. But I remember him from there. And what I remember most is that he was such a nasty person. Was he the pastor at Our Lady of Victory for a while? I think he was. I think he was. I remember other priests being there. I remember a Father Peacock being pastor at one time, and he was very nice. I liked him. And there was a Father Warman there who was great, too. But I remember Father Maskell a lot of times being really negative, harsh, a very harsh person. When he said Mass, the sermon was always something where he just made people feel terrible instead of trying to lift them up and give them some good connection with church and with God. He would just tear people down and ridicule people. Did it surprise you to hear about the abuse much later? Not really. Not really. I have a note here that at some point, your the Malecki family like bought a patron or something for the yearbook. Does that sound familiar? I think Tom Nugent told me that like when the yearbook comes to people buy ads to help pay for the yearbook. We have the yearbook. And yes, because I was looking through the patrons and it was my grandmother, Stella. And then under after that was the Malecki family. Now they live in South Baltimore on Ford Avenue. And do, what yearbook is that? Which year? I can go check. Yeah, we can check it. That's interesting, though, because... I guess, how would your grandmother and your family have have bought that space? I was surprised when I saw that in the patrons. And that's why I brought it to Diane's attention, which she's trying to get my attention now. Let me ask Daryl a question. And Pat, maybe you know it, but it just came to me. I wonder if, since your grandmother lived in South Baltimore, wonder if any of the other kids, that lived, the relatives that lived there, one of those girls go to Keogh. You know, we would just knock on doors or ask our family to buy a, I guess it was like five bucks or something to have your, unless it was a square, a white square with a business in it. They still do that. Yeah. So your grandmother, Stella, lived on Fort Avenue, which she had belonged to Holy Cross Parish. That went to... That's where you started school, right? Yeah, I, originally, I went to first grade at Our Lady of Victory because we lived on Ford Avenue at the time. I used to take the bus down, go to Our Lady of Victory, but I only did that for first grade. That's when we moved from 
South Baltimore to Lansdowne, Baltimore County. The next question I have, I'd like to ask you guys what you think happened to Joyce. But before that, I just want to catch our listeners up. So it was four days after Sister Kathy disappeared. That is when Tuesday, November the 11th, this is the day that Joyce disappeared. And it was the next day on Wednesday when you guys discovered her car. And then, of course, the day after that is when she was found by two hunters. I've read two reports, one that says... As she was found by the two hunters were build, building a deer blind. Another news article said that it was two mushroom hunters. I'm not sure which one which one is accurate. But what do you guys think happened to Joyce? It's now been 50 years. Do you guys have any idea what could have happened? I would. I believe that her boyfriend or the person she was dating was involved. But again, after having a couple meetings with the F- FBI. And they assured us that they had interviewed them and interviewed everybody around. That, now, that I don't believe that anymore. Because once again, Gemma, we had talked about this, was since this incident happened, we were completely out of the loop with the FBI, with everybody. They never contacted us and gave us any updates. My brother, Donald, he actually uh, went to a, a FBI office, I believe, in Annapolis and tried to get some updates, and they just blew him off and just not, nothing because they just told him it was ongoing investigation. What is your gut telling you happened to Joyce that night? The one thing that sticks in my head is why she was in the parking lot of a liquor store. Joyce was not a drinker. The only other thing that I could think of is if she was, I taught her early that when she was in the car, no matter where she went, she locked the door. She had to pull over for a reason, have to go in that parking lot for a reason. And the only reason that comes into my head is if she was pulled over by a cop. Maskell's brother was a cop. So what was she doing in the parking lot of a liquor store? She was 20. She she couldn't buy liquor back then. And she didn't drink to start with. That sticks in my head. When we were meeting in person, you told us a story about someone that worked in that liquor store and the fact that Joyce's car was there. Can you remind me what that was? Okay. According to the FBI, one of our meetings, we found out that we did, we were under the impression the FBI wouldn't do anything. When actually, they were. She told us that they interviewed everybody that was in that day room with her boyfriend. He never left. Nobody ever came in. They also searched for meat and the, the barracks areas, and they even went on the roofs because Joyce's pocketbook was never found and her purse was never found. Also, they said that when they interviewed the owner, he said he remembered going outside and Joyce's car was in the parking lot. When he left later on that night when he closed up, he went back out, and her car was there, but it was not in the same spot that he originally saw it. So the car was there all night. Are we correct that was a bar and liquor store? Uh, as far as I know, it was a bar. I don't think it was a liquor store. That's what I understood also. Diane, do you have thoughts about, among all this, about what you think happened? I really think that I always thought that the boyfriend had something to do with it. But they're saying that, of course, the FBI... Right, gave us a lot more detail yes, and about the interview. They told us that they interviewed everybody that was associated with this guy, him extensively, 
and they ruled him out. So I'm going by what the FBI said. But for years, I, I thought there was some kind of connection. Now, I do have to clarify, at the time that all this happened, I had just met Daryl because I had just gone to the school. It was a new school for me. And I had just met him. He was in my class. And I remember when it all happened, seeing his family on television and saying to my parents, I know him. I know that guy. He's in a class at school. I never met Joyce, but I remember just from all the information, I always assumed that the boyfriend, her boyfriend had something to do with it. How recently has the FBI been in touch with your family? Jamma, we we were just talking about, uh, Diane and myself were just talking about that prior to Pat coming over here. And we want to say a year ago, and it was two of them. And again, we keep explaining that we have not been informed about anything. Of course, they were young guys, and they were all apologetic, but they had nothing to do with it. But that they're on the case now. And again, since then, Gemma, we haven't heard a thing. So it's really frustrating. And I, I know, I think my opinion is they're just waiting for be contacted by somebody and say, hey, I know this, and follow up on it. But I don't know. I just went and retrieved the yearbook. And it's 1969. That's where the acknowledgments are, the patrons. I do remember seeing the family patron thing that maybe your grandmother took care of. We've already talked about why you guys switched cars. And you're saying, Daryl, that was you, right? Yes. Because your car was simply in better shape than the one Joyce would have been. No, I had my parents' car. I did not have a car. I was only 17. And I, they let me take it when it, it was back morning where they just let me take it to work and come home. And like I say, at this particular time, Joyce was going to do her shopping and just came up and said, that's it, I can switch cars. And I said, yeah, sure, I had no problem. And she just left me her keys. And that was because that car was more reliable in terms of her driving around? Yeah, it was only two years old. Okay. Because our listeners and everybody on the Keepers, they have come up with all these crazy theories about why you switched cars, and but it was pretty simple. Yeah, Gemma, she had, it, it, I don't know what kind of car, my, my parents had, a, it was a 67 Chevrolet Impala, it was only two years old, her car was a 1960 Pontiac, and she bought it used, and it, it, was, very, it was very used. That makes sense, it's a simple answer. Yes, yeah, and that, that's the whole thing, there's no mystery to it. And like I say, I guess she felt going out shopping and where she was going, she just felt more comfortable taking the parent's car. When you guys were contacted by the filmmakers for The Keepers, what were your thoughts back then? I can speak for myself. It was excitement. It was that something that it didn't just die and go away and that somebody was interested in the stories and was going to make a documentary about it. I was very excited about it. And I've watched it two or three or four times. Pat, you were the one who people will probably remember from the Keepers. Didn't you have to go identify Joyce? Yes, I did. What were your thoughts when the filmmakers were wanting you guys to be involved to help tell Joyce's story? Pretty much the same as Daryl, that, God, somebody could look into this and maybe something will come of it. That's what we were hoping. And it, it had created some people a lot of interest, but time to keep on marching along. Pat can go back to back to the identification because it's a pretty sad too what's your family's opinion of how what kinds of things have happened since the keepers was released 
like you said, the FBI met with you about a year ago, but we also know that uh, Abby filed a Freedom of Information Act to get Joyce's uh, files five years ago. So the government's way over time. The only option we would have would be to sue the government. And that's not going to work because, number one, we have no budget. Number two, that would take probably longer than if we just wait. But those there's 4,000 pages in her files. That's what we heard. And we've been told, or Abby's kept track of that, have been told that it's still awaiting an analyst because the government can get 10 small files out, turned around and released in the time it would take for one person to sit down and go through those 4,000 pages. So what's your sense of, do you feel like since the FBI met with you and since both Officer Teal and Gary Childs, I believe, have met with your family, that things are moving and that's why they're holding the files back? Along with that, Darlene's husband, my brother-in-law, also filed the Freedom of Information Act to get to file. And nothing's ever been done for him either. You've got nothing. Yes, you know, that was exciting because we you know, we all felt that something's going to happen. And since then, we, and before and after, we had these meetings, which were was encouraging. Again, we were hoping that something would come of it. But what we have heard, and Pat, you can back me up on this, that this is very discouraging to me and everybody in the family that apparently there was evidence that was that they had, but the FBI got rid of it, which on a homicide case that nobody has ever heard of, that is that, that's really mind-boggling. But talking to these FBI guys, they're young. They they just stepped into it. And I don't know if they backed that statement up that they did get rid of evidence. My goodness, they had they, they had blood samples from the car, fingerprints, fingerprints. Yeah, and she had because apparently and we heard this from the a long time ago, that apparently Joyce put up a fight. She didn't go down just and that happened because she had scrapings up underneath her fingernail. So she did put up a fight and it's all gone. You know, last we heard from the FBI was that they were going to take the fingerprints that they got off my father's car and they were going to take the tape off of the fingerprint and go in and see if they could get any DNA off of the print itself. It's a new process. Yeah, and we've never heard anything more about that either. Now, the only thing that we did hear was that the cold case investigator, she said that she had seen the files and there was 4,000 pages. And she- this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How's your social battery holding up? Mine's been draining lately, consumed by the darkness of true crime tales. But amidst the shadows, it's crucial to remember to prioritize our mental well-being. Just like unraveling a twisted plot, therapy helps me untangle the knots in my mind. It's about gaining clarity, finding strength, and reclaiming control over your life. Considering therapy, BetterHelp offers a lifeline in the darkness. It's completely online giving you the freedom to seek help in your own terms. And with a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist 
who understands your unique struggles. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com foul today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash foul, F-O-U-L. Looking for a new way to unwind after a long day? Say hello to Recess Mood, a healthier alternative that keeps your evenings light and your spirit high. With Recess Mood, you get the pleasure without the guilt. Made with real fruit and infused with mood-lifting magnesium and stress-balancing adaptogens, Recess Mood lets you relax without alcohol or hangovers. It's just 20 calories per can, has no added sugar, and comes in four delightful flavors like strawberry rose and raspberry lemon. I've tried these myself, and whether I'm chilling at home or need a moment during downtime chaos, Recess Mood is my go-to refreshment. It's truly a guilt-free way to unwind. And now there's something special for all our listeners. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash Shane and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Explain to me that although she's Baltimore County, that at the time of the two murders, Baltimore County and the FBI had a joint task commission because they felt like the two murders were connected. So because they had that in writing, that gave her the opportunity to get her foot in the door. She told me she could not copy anything or take anything, but she was able to look at the files. So what she's telling you is absolutely correct. We do know that in the mid-90s, around 1995, that is when, for some reason, the evidence that they were have, that they had for Joyce's case, that it was destroyed. I know that we mentioned that together when we were talking about it when we were in person. And to me, that's also very weird because I've double-checked with people who I know that have worked for the FBI before, and I don't think that from anyone who I've spoken to, that is a standard procedure. That just doesn't make sense to me, especially because in the mid-90s, they could have tested it for DNA and done more things to help later test for DNA. So it's just, it's weird that the evidence was destroyed. And again, everyone will also recognize that is when the Jane Roe and Doe case was coming forward at the time. Yeah, sounds awful strange to us. But again, I just go back to what we said earlier. We've been out of the loop. We haven't heard from anybody except for these meetings. I know that there was a great deal of sadness because of Donald's death Mm -hmm. through the filming and before the series was released. So I know that your family holds a really high place of honor in everybody's heart broken for you. We're wondering, I think Shane was going to ask about the F- why the FBI is not released. Yeah, you guys touched on it a bit earlier, but 
Have you guys been told why the FBI won't release Joyce's files to you? No, haven't heard a word. And that's something that we should probably follow up on. But we, we still have their, their, their cards. So what would you like law enforcement to do for your family? If you, had, if you could make a list, what would be on that list that you would like law enforcement, the police department, and the FBI to do for your family? Solve the case and release the files and really look into who made the call about getting rid of the evidence. And why? See, I can't believe that, they, that the evidence was destroyed. And that what evidence are they talking about? Are they talking, they, they, they've got all the prints. And there, what other evidence is there? We've been scraping underneath the fingernails. There, there was, from what we were told, there was blood found on the back seat of my parents' car. Yeah. And after that, you know, when the, my parents got the car back, my mother wouldn't, wouldn't you know, Go in it, so well, you had to buy your new car. The, don't blame her. The other thing is, as far as the evidence goes, I have a tough time believing that it was destroyed because all the evidence that they've got is paper evidence. But they've, they've got the fingerprint. Uh, I don't know if they got blood samples or if they had anything out. But why would they just destroy that little bit? That's what don't make sense to me. As as far as evidence goes, they probably also had the clothing that she was wearing. And uh, didn't you also tell me that they took your parents' tires off of the car? Did they ever return those to you? No, they haven't. So they were probably evidence that they had stored as well. They kept them because they found my father. When, when he got, you never knew where he was going to buy any parts. So all four of those tires were mismatched. And they found evidence of the tire tracks where they found Joyce's body. Oh, so they found it like like in the dirt, is what you're saying? Yeah. So her car, somebody abducted her in her car and took. It was her parents' car, but yes, parents' car. I'm going to change the question I was going to ask you to a different one. What would you? What can the public do for you? What can we do for you? Because I really do not want you to ever feel like you're not. You're not being ignored. I am willing to do anything I can. And there's thousands of people that are listening to this and will be listening to it that will do anything we can to help you find answers. So what can the public do for you? What you're doing now, again, and I plead ignorance on this. I have a smartphone too, but it's way smarter than I am. This is Daryl. And now that we know how to reach these podcasts, I'm definitely going to reach them and listen to them. And if this is going to have a possibility that it's not going to just fall by the wayside, and hopefully it'll something will come of it. But we're coming up on 50 years. I think that it's great how much the keepers and the podcasts have generated in this, and it keeps other people interested in the subject. They keep talking about it and coming up with various theories that can be explored. And I think that's a wonderful thing that you've done. Yeah. And Gemma, this kudos to you that you're involved in this. Yeah. With the sister Kathy, we hope to get solved. Yeah. And apparently there was two other murders that right. you know, they can all get solved. I don't know what the problem is. They can't hear that they thought in cold case files. 
But it's like these four, they're just, this is not happening. The police definitely feel like those four, and I'm going to say the names, Sesnick, Malecki, Montagna, and Conyers, believe that those are connected. They're looking into all of them, but that's easy for me to say. The police cannot share, mm-hmm. share anything with Gemma or Shane or Abby. We got really good at reading between the lines. We actually had more information than they did, and they were welcome to that once the movie people got involved and Sister Kathy's family. So I'm going to say to the listeners, I want all of you, we are begging all of you to start brainstorming and posting on the Keepers page. You can put it on my page, on the podcast page. What can we do? We can write letters. We can make phone calls. Anybody, if you are FBI connected, if you are whatever connections you have, we need your resources. Because I don't know if you guys realize this, but I really do believe this is why it was born. And as long as I'm alive, you guys are important to me. And Joyce, I'm determined that if there's anything in my power, that I will do it to help you guys find the answers. So I'm begging our, we're good at crowdsourcing. Everybody comes through for us, but I'm begging the listeners to please start thinking about what we can do that's concrete because we do not want your family to be left alone. Once again, we can't thank you enough that you keep this going, which, you know, is great. And I question myself throughout the years why didn't i even pursue again this is all this was all new and we assumed that it was it was being investigated and i'm not saying it's not but if there's no information passed down to us being informed goes with donald donald went to the fbi on numerous occasions because he would always tell me that he went and just got the same run around that they always do. It's an open case. We can't discuss it. Now, they could, if they can't discuss it, they could at least say we're looking into it. But to just blankly say, cut him off, just to blow him off. Yep. Yes, exactly. It tells us that the FBI don't give a shit. After you guys watch The Keepers, what are your opinions on do you guys believe that Joyce and Kathy's case could be related? Oh, I believe it. This is Pat. You're damn right I believe it. Now, the other thing is, as far as that goes, as I understand it, girls that were molested, that were at your house, Jennifer? Correct. Yes. Okay. Now, that lawyer, she pulled Darlene to the side and asked her if she had ever been molested by Michael. And she said, no, why do you have? And she said, because one of those girls told her that she overheard Joyce telling Maskell, if you ever touch my sister, I'll turn you in. Meaning the youngest sister in the family. Yeah. Yeah. If that's true, if she and she and her and Bimmy would talk about Maskell, then that could be absolutely true. And you know, the, the the keepers me was, was great. I wish there would be a follow-up. <laughs> but Everybody I'm that's yeah. They the for everybody who's listening, that the filmmakers have moved on. They don't just do true crime. They've moved on mm-hmm. to their next two projects, one of which just came out called Ask Dr. Ruth, 
which is the story of Dr. Ruth Westheimer. We're not going to leave you. And now Jane and I are stuck. So we're going to be, and he's only 30. So he's like less than half my age. So if I something happens to me, at least you'll know who did it. And Shane will carry you on the torch. But I'm not going anywhere, neither is he. Daryl and Pat, I wanted to ask you one of my last questions. We, a lot of people saw in the keepers, and one of the things they'll remember is that the person who, or at least the detectives believed at the time, that the person who drove Kathy's car was driving with two feet. Didn't one of you tell us when we met in person in Baltimore that they believed that also was the case for Joyce's car? Yeah, it was the case for Joyce's car, as I understood it. They found twigs on the brake pedal and nothing on the gas pedal. Who's the goofy guy? The hell, stuffed animals. Edgar. 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 Yeah, and they asked Edgar if he drove with two feet. He said yes. That's all the questions that I had. Was there anything else that you wanted to say or ask us or our listeners? No, just we appreciate that it's still that you know what you guys are doing and that it keeps going and what we can do. Daryl, earlier in the conversation. You had talked about Pat identifying Joyce. Pat, I know that's such a heartbreaking thing for you to talk about, but I didn't want to just go through this without giving you the opportunity to talk about that if you wanted to. When we were at Fort Meade, my mother, my father, Donald, and I, we were all there. And originally, Donald was going to go identify her, but he got too emotional. So then they asked me, and I went over to the hospital to identify her body. And you saw the area where her body was found. And she was found face down, partially in the river. And they had, they didn't clean her up at all. They had, she had sticks in her hair, blood on her face. And that's something, a visual that never, ever goes in the Away and it, it was yesterday. So it does hurt. So I would like to pull the switch on the guy that did it. That would make me happy. We are all here with you now. Daryl, Pat, Diane, thank you guys so much for your time.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.